Welcome to How We Run, the podcast about nonprofit success. I'm Trent Stamp, CEO of the Eisner Foundation. And I'm Julie Lacatur, and I help nonprofits with strategy, fundraising, and digital media. Hey, Trent, welcome back. It's a pleasure, Julie. Good to see you again. Um, we are starting off season two of the podcast with a little bit um, of direction that you had brought up to me, and I was hoping that you could talk about it. Um, it was a great story you told me about someone from Encore um, who was at a nonprofit with a very young executive director. Sure. I mean, it is exciting to be renewed here for this second season. Um, I want to thank the powers that be that brought us back um, to run this one more time and see if we can get it right. Um, but yeah, one, one of the programs that we funded at the Eisner Foundation is called Encore Fellows, and it's designed to bring mid-career professionals um, who perhaps are going through a career transition. Many of them have been laid off from um, the computer world or the entertainment world as those jobs are changing, um, and bring those people back into the sector to work um in, in nonprofits. Um, so the way the program works is it takes somebody um, who's looking for that transition and pays them a, uh, a fellowship, a stipend for six months to go work for a nonprofit. Um, and that way they can, A, provide some guidance, mentorship, um, expertise for that particular organization, but also they can figure out, is this something I'd like to do for the next 20 years of my life? Because everybody says I'm looking for a job with purpose. Um, um, but until you get in and you see how it is to truly work for a nonprofit, it always looks better um, looking over the fence. So <laughs> Cer- um, it certainly does. I've had a lot of people say to me, oh, it must feel so good to work in a nonprofit. And I was like, it never it never feels good. <laughs> it, it has to feel good because you're because uh, the paycheck doesn't normally feel that's as right. good. So um, but anyhow, back to more Encore Fellows. I mean, so that's the idea behind the program. And, and one of the one of the times I saw it in action was up in the Bay Area with a, with an organization that served um, children who had been um, infected with AIDS and birth defects and um, homeless children. Um, it was pretty much just the nonprofity of the most nonprofity um, nonprofits. And they had brought in a guy from Intel whose job was to work there um, to provide IT. Um, and then he could see whether he wanted to work in that particular type of industry because it's tough um, for the rest of his life. And what happened was relatively remarkable because sure he could do the IT for this particular organization but where he found value was in serving as a mentor serving as a tutor to the people who were actually on staff because we're talking about 25 27 29 year old people men and women um, who are smart as heck but um don't have a ton of work experience and don't have a ton of people to turn to because if they turn to their board or turn to their donors and say, I'm having a challenge with this particular thing, that's often seen by those people in power as weakness. Um, and that's a shame. So by having this guy in the organization who's 55 years old, who has worked for Intel for 30 years, who's been part of that culture, who has the ultimate been there, done that kind of thing. He was able to serve as kind of the Yoda of the organization, serve as the wise old man who could say, I'm here to help. You can come to me without any condition, without any qualification and not worry that 
when you ask for help or say, have you ever seen this before that I'm going to think you're not up to the job? So they found great value in that as the organization and Encore Fellows, I think, is trying to pivot more away from we're going to provide you with communications people or IT people or that kind of thing, but really just kind of provide you with here's a grown up in the room who's been there, who's seen that, who can provide counsel and advice without judgment um, and hopefully make your job a little easier when all is said and done. So I like to think that's what we could do here at this podcast is that we can serve as those Encore Fellows, as those Yodas, because unfortunately you and I are experienced. Um, (laughs) And we can look around and say, you know, we've been there, we've done that, we've seen that. Here's what I would do. You, of course, have to figure out what to do in your own particular environment with your own skills and your own set of circumstances. But I guarantee you, you think that the problem that you're facing is one that no one has ever seen before because of your particular set of circumstances. It's not true. We've all seen it a million times. And I think that maybe you and I can find a way through our guests um, to provide people with some experience and some wisdom and say, this is what we would do. And maybe that'll give people some help. Yeah, I love it. I think that's a really nice um, targeted mission statement for what we want to do here. Yodas. Yodas. Podcast Yodas. Perfect. I have the height of a Yoda, I think. And you just need to work on the ears. And I, I think we're the good. wrinkled skin of a Yoda <laughs> and the ear hair. <laughs> so we're good to go. Details, listeners. This is what you get. Um, so tell me uh, from your point of view, what are you what do you think those things that executive directors are struggling with? But like it's one of those things that like you can't go to the board with um, or you where do you see the, the quiet suffering, I guess, of executive directors? Well, I think that you've hit on the first one already, which is just board relations. Yeah, absolutely. um, Managing your board, recruiting your board, um, interacting with your board, knowing how to get help from your board without um, telling your board that you're in trouble, um, using your board for good, um, trusting your board, developing a relationship with your board so that you guys are on the same page and there isn't some sort of weird power dynamic, um, which happens, especially with young executive directors. Um, I think young executive executive directors also face the challenge of, of oftentimes managing older employees, um, older volunteers. You know, one of the things that I like to talk about at the Eisner Foundation is recruiting older volunteers. They can be really good. And I know that's a topic for a later podcast, but it's hard when you're a younger CEO of an organization or executive director of an organization to bring in somebody who has 30, 40 years of experience somewhere else and bring them into your organization. And basically get them to do what you need them to do, not what they want to do to have fun at your organization. Um, fundraising. I mean, you know, let's, <laughs> let's, let's call it as it is. Um, you know, executive directors are, are made and broken on their ability to fundraise, um, to tell their story. Um, and I think, you know, the other one is just kind of motivating and managing your employees. Um, You know, I think we have a tendency in the nonprofit world to think of it as a collaborative affair, um, to look at management styles of, you know, we're all in this together and there isn't an org chart and there isn't hierarchy and, um, you know, we will work together to find it out. And some of that is a product of a younger generation that is finding ways to manage that way. And that's a good thing. But some of it is you do need to have somebody at the top of the org chart where the buck stops here and you need to 
have the courage to be able to trust your convictions. And so finding ways to, to be that person is, is sometimes a challenge. Yeah, there is kind of a delicate balance, I think, between having a very collaborative and inviting environment that is inclusive and having an environment that's accountable and aimed towards results and metrics. And I think sometimes we're sold the idea that those two compete against each other when they don't and they shouldn't. But bringing them together in one place, I think, is something I see with executive directors of wanting to let people be who they are and do what they're good at and and all that stuff. But then also getting them to do the work that needs to be done. It's tough. Yeah. So the, none of this stuff is easy or no. else we wouldn't be prattling on about how we can help. <laughs> um, you know, they write books about these things and people are desperately, you know, Googling all night long. You know, how do I get my team environment to listen to me when I need them to do what they need to do while still honoring their individuality? Right. Um, if it was easy, we would all just, you know, go home and do it. But uh, but it's a challenge, but it, it has been done by others. Yeah. Um, what do you see? uh are some of the hurdles um, in the environment right now um, with executive directors, some things that they're maybe facing right now that are new challenges? Well, I do think that the political environment has changed things um, for better or worse. And I know we don't want to go down this road of of, of trying to dance in the middle of, of what's going on politically, especially nationally. Um, it's a different environment. And yeah. you constantly run the risk of alienating somebody, offending somebody, um, getting you know into financial bed with the wrong person and the right person and what kind of repercussions that has. Um, and I think that we're all kind of looking to draw up sides. Um, and figure out you're either with us or against us. And that makes it difficult to fundraise. It makes it difficult unless you're, you know, deliberately leading an advocacy organization that's looking to overthrow the president. Um, that's pretty easy. Um, but, you know, if you're wading into education or the environment, um, these are areas where you used to be able to kind of stay in your lane. And now I think we're asking people to choose sides, even on issues that we think you kind of find a common benefit for society. And, and that's tough. It's a new it's a new area to navigate. Um, you know, I think that that's kind of the big area is is. Where are we politically and what is it? How does it impact your work? How does it impact how you fundraise, who you get on your board, you know, whether you're able to advocate for some things or not for other things? Um, It's just we've just gotten to be in kind of a a dangerous zone for people. Yeah, I remember being a part of a lot of discussions at some of the smaller organizations where I started my career um, about what money we would or would not say yes to, which was funny because saying we we weren't in no position to turn down money, I guess I should say, but we had a lot of conversations about it of, you know, we worked with children and what if a cigarette company wanted to give us money? Meanwhile, they certainly did not want to. Um, We were not big enough. Um, Are those conversations worth having? Do you think Um, for me, it felt like this was premature, but do you see any of that? I wish we had less of them, to tell mm-hmm. you the truth, okay. um, because I do think that we can, you know, kind of have a generosity of spirit towards others and not think that everybody who gives you money has an agenda. Um, and it's OK to take money from the other people on the other side of the aisle if what they're doing is genuinely supporting what you're doing um, and think that you're doing good work. Unfortunately, I think that people's donor lists and board lists are being scrutinized by other people now um, who don't necessarily think 
that um, you have the altruistic impulses that you think you do have. And they wonder if you're pick, picking sides and, and making alliances and maybe you have an agenda. Um, and so I do think that board members and staff have to have those discussions. Um, but I really wish that we could kind of get back to a point where we would say, you know, yeah, I'll take, you know, that person's money because what they want to do is they want me to do my good work. Um, but I don't think we, I don't think we're there anymore. I think that, you know, that unfortunately every staff member, every board member and every organization kind of has to have a policy of who do we take money from um, why and for what purpose? And, you know, th- there's our best practices in that area. You can look. I mean, every organization has put together a list of, of what their what their policy is. Um, too often we see people after the fact have to return money for some reason or another. Um, but I just wish we could get back to a day where where that wasn't necessarily the case. That's right. Yeah, I think that's what you just said there is really important of it. We shouldn't make it the job of the charity to... No, if the media wants to highlight it, they can. If charity regulators want to actually do their jobs, that's okay, too. But I hate the idea of a, of a nonprofit who really believes in their mission and really believes in their efficacy and really thinks they can make the world a better place, having to worry that the money that's coming in the door, um, if earned honestly, is somehow or another a violation of their personal ethic. Um, all right. On a totally different Paige, you were out of town for a little bit. You were at South by Southwest. South by Southwest, EDU, to be fair. <laughs> I was just going to say not checking premiering out. a movie or playing my new country <laughs> album or even unveiling my new esports team. I was talking primarily to educators. Yeah, you were on a panel um, sponsored by Working Nation, which is a great website um, of, with just a ton of great articles. They're a nonprofit news source, right? Like they're not... Yes, Working Nation is a a relatively new organization which has um, really kind of dove into this idea of the world is changing and what is it going to do to our workforce and what do we have to do to prepare for those changes. The obvious example that they use all the time is if driverless cars are coming, um, people driving automobiles is the leading form of employment in 32 out of 50 states. That's an awful lot of people who are going to be out of work. So we can sit around and wait um, for all those people to be unemployed. And let's be honest, most people who are driving for a living aren't 16 years old. They're 40, 50, 60 years old. Um, Or we can start trying to figure out what to do um, about preparing our workforce and and adapting in the same way that we adapted when we moved from an agricultural economy to to an industrial economy. We're going to move to something else now and we can figure out ways to have jobs created, or we can sit around and destroy our country in the name of artificial intelligence. So um, Working Nation has taken on that relatively um, auspicious goal of of trying to figure out um, how to address this type of change. And they were kind enough to invite me to speak on a panel primarily about um, getting older workers into the workforce and what do we do about retraining and reeducating older people um, to get them back into the workforce um, for the betterment of society. Yeah. And we will put a link up to that whole talk because they have it on SoundCloud. But what were your takeaways from that discussion? Because it sounded very interesting. And I will admit that I'm halfway through it at this point. Um, But you'll be all the way through by the time. Listen, it was a shorter drive here today than I thought. Well, that's just because we do this in the middle 
of the day because we're, <laughs> we're not crazy people in Los Angeles. Um, I mean, there are a lot of takeaways, but I mean, I kind of my biggest point was um, or the biggest point I think uh, gained from from the panel was um we don't have any choice on, on this. Um, people are living longer. Um, people want to work longer. They want to have purpose. People have to work longer. Um, and so we as a society have to figure out ways um, to make those people maintain their productivity. And I hear a lot of conversations about, you know, well, I'd have to retrain a worker. Um, you know, they're 50 years old. I'm going to have to teach them technology um, to get them to be valuable in my workforce. Um, and that's just insane. I mean, you and I are relatively bright people, but when we were hired at 22, 23 years old to go work in an organization of some sort. Um, we weren't finished products. Oh, I was the, uh, just the most, <laughs> the hottest of messes. We were disasters. Yeah. And our employer said, that's great. You have some skills, but I'm going to have to train you in the other things that are important to me as an employer and the other things that are important for us as a workforce. Um, so it's not a new thing to retrain people. Uh, why we can provide, you know, public speaking classes and teach people how to do things that are 23 years old, but we can't teach, you know, me how to use Excel is, 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 is a relatively immature idea. So, um, and then this idea, you know, I, we ran into a lot of employers who said, well, that's fine. Um, but I worry about workplace culture. How do I integrate older people into my workplace? And it just shows how ageist we are as a society because we have abandoned this idea of saying, how do I integrate women into my workforce? How do I integrate African-Americans into my workforce? Um, because you would immediately be branded as sexist or racist. But we've allowed people to continue to be ageist and say, well... I, I don't know if I want to put an older worker in my workforce because, you know, they're slower. Um, well, OK, maybe they are. Maybe they're not. But they also bring things to the table, too. They may be more experienced. They may be more reliable. Um, and I'd argue you know. when I was a new worker and I faxed 120 pages upside down, I was slower also. You were slower because you made a lot more mistakes. Just dumber. There is a, a tortoise and a hare argument sure. to be made here at yeah. some point. So, I mean, I just think that, you know, we can argue all day long about about, you know, the path to the waterfall. But we need to get to the waterfall. Um which is how do we incorporate older people at, back into our workforce? How do we retrain people so that they are valuable commodities in the workforce? Um, because we have an aging population that wants to stay vital and we as a society have to find ways to keep them vital or else um, the negative implications for our society are just too much to count. So while you were at a cool, in a cool city like Austin, I was in the other... It was cool though. I was there was in it? early March. It was 29 degrees the first day. What? In Austin. I was totally sold. Oh, well, it was warmer where I was so. in the other cool city of Portland, Oregon. Ooh. Um, we had we were having a hipster. Convention. We were we didn't really. Even know about it. Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> I was at the nonprofit technology conference, which is sponsored by N10. But this conference I've gone to every other year. And, and when I go, I kick myself for not going every year because it is the nicest group of people and the highest caliber folks from wow, all across been. the country. Oh, my gosh. Come with me sometime. Okay. It's great. So they um, are looking at nonprofit, the intersection of nonprofit and technology as a whole. So have different groups of people there. So there's some people that are IT for the organization. So they're in charge of 
just basic make the organization go stuff, networking servers, database kind of stuff. And then there are a whole group of people there. And I just wish I had a clone so I could have also gone to these sessions who are using technology for advocacy. So really saying, um, and you're getting into a lot of social media tools at this point, but also, um, you know, using networking and messaging apps to take of what used to be a very small local organization and making it much bigger by scaling it up through technology. And those were fascinating sessions. Um, There's a lot of organizations that are using tech tools to build communities online. So you see this in a lot in some of the healthcare uh, organizations where somebody, uh, the the disease advocate organizations where not everyone is in the same place, but they're in the same place online. And that kind of community building online has been very, has grown very fast and is very interesting. And then you also have the people that use technology for fundraising and marketing and finding new donors and connecting with new people that way. And they all come together. It's about uh, over a little bit over 2000 people. And everyone was so nice. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And I had gone to a like a marketing conference a couple of weeks before and it was just a lot and it took a lot out of me and this was just wonderful. So I highly recommend it. It was a wonderful. Do you feel wonderful- like Portland played a, a part in that? Portland played a part in it. But, um, it was just chill because you were in Portland. It, it was, was really pretty mellow great. and it was really just hard for you to yeah. get aggravated in any way whatsoever. The coffee was really good and the very cheap. The coffee was good. I had a donut morning. Donuts, everything, coffee, and hopefully everything you had good. at least one craft beer of some sort. Absolutely. There we go. Absolutely. Welcome but yeah, to Portland. I'm very much looking forward to the season. We have a lot of great topics and we have a lot of great guests already coming in and we're going to do every other week releasing um, so that we get time for me to catch up with editing basically so and for look- us to find awesome guests there because you go i've used all three of my stories already <laughs> here in season two we need to give you <laughs> time to get some new stories that's fine excellent well I'll see you see you next time i look forward to it that's all for today's episode of how we run please check out goodwaysinc.com to find past episodes of this podcast and other tips about working in nonprofit. if you have any questions you want me to ask a funder on this podcast you can tweet me at goodwaysinc please subscribe to how we run on apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and leave us a rating and a review thank you for listening i'm julie lacature and we'll see you next week for another new episode